While the government locks states down again and continues to promote masks and social distancing as the key ways to protect yourself from COVID, they're ignoring a significant and safe medical finding. A direct and powerful connection between vitamin D levels and your risk of getting COVID, your risk of being hospitalized for COVID, and your risk of dying for COVID. With over 50% of the population vitamin D deficient, this is enormous. Those who are D deficient are the ones that are at the greatest risk. The mass media isn't telling you about this, and your doctor probably has not sent an email to you to suggest that you look into it and supplement. So I'm going to talk to you about it now. Join me right now to talk to Dr. Michael Hollick, one of the top experts on the subject of vitamin D. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Please rate and review us because it's such important stuff that we talk to our doctors about and share this. Tell your friends about it. Have them come on in. Thanks so much. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you on this very kind of holiday week for joining me. Um, I was actually going to take the week off, but there's a really critical topic out there and I am impassioned about it. I am so angry, frustrated, and just driven for you to know about this and for the world to know about this. And that is the connection between vitamin D and COVID. While our leaders, while the state leaders, while the the medical doctors, mainstream medical doctors are telling everybody to wash your hands, stay home and wear a mask. They are not talking about something that they all know is vital and showing huge connection between your risk of getting COVID, your risk of getting going to the hospital for COVID and your risk of dying of COVID. So we're gonna talk about that today with a very, very knowledgeable, one of the, the top, top doctors in the world of vitamin D. Um, so I'm Sarah Heiner and welcome to our Health and Happiness Hour. Um, my reminders, as always, we have a growing library of these videos on our Facebook page. Um, so you can reference them there. They're a little bit tricky to find sometimes. Facebook's a little bit, you know, quirky. So we put them also up into YouTube in the Bottom Line Inc. channel there. So subscribe to that. And then you can see all those. We have hundreds of videos actually um, from that I've been developing over the years with experts, um, interviews with experts from so many places. Um, there's also, there will be a link in the chat um, to a download. Again, I always say you can't, um, you can't transmit COVID if you're not sick. And the stronger your immune system is, the less likely it is that you're going to be sick. But again, nobody's talking to you about ways to strengthen your immune system to help your body do what it needs to do. But we've got a, a free book with some of our top experts' advice that we've developed. Again, we've interviewed these experts. We've published this information. So there's a link in the chat box right now. So you can download that, click on that, and download that. Um, I think those are it for the moment, unless somebody sends me a reminder. And don't forget, if you have questions for Dr. Hollick, put them into the chat box and we'll get to as many of them as we can in the course of this time. So again, thank you for being here. Let me bring on Dr. Hollick and introduce him to you. And then we're gonna get talking. Hi, Michael, welcome. All right, let me introduce you. And I always read it so, so that I get all the information absolutely right. All right, this is Dr. Michael Hollick. He's the director of the Ehlers-Danlos Clinical Research Program and professor of medicine, physiology, and biophysics at Boston University Medical Center. Um, as a graduate student, um, Michael was the first to identify the major circulating form of vitamin D in humans. So he, he's the one that said, this is it. Um, and then he isolated and identified the active form of vitamin D that determined the mechanism of, uh, for how vitamin D is synthesized in the skin and how it affects our lives. So literally the root of how we got to the importance of vitamin D. Um, you have probably seen him on TV and the newspaper or all over the place because again, he's the guy 
and he's been interviewed like crazy. So I'm sure he's familiar to you, but we're, we've never heard a conversation like what he and I are going to have. Um, he is the author of The Vitamin D Solution, a three-step strategy to cure our most common health problem. Um, and you can learn more about him um, at his website, drholic.com. And there's an app there as well. We're going to talk about that later that will help you know how to best get your D. So Michael, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. All right. So I gave the the least bit of, bu of bullet points, but give me just a kind of a, tell them why you're so great and why, what you know, and the credibility of what, what you do and how involved you've been in vitamin D and the research of it and understanding of this vital vitamin hormone, whatever you want to call it, however you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, people always ask me that question. How did I get into this in the first right. place? And so you would think that, you know, I sought this actually just the opposite. I had no interest. Uh, I was a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin and biochemistry. And I wanted to work in DNA because that was the hottest topic at the time. And I was told that there's just no openings that go and see Dr. DeLuca, he's working in vitamin D. And I said, why do I wanna work in vitamin D? I mean, it sounds like a very boring subject, but they said, well, it doesn't matter whether it's boring or not, <laughs> talk to him, he's likely gonna be your mentor. And it turned out, to be um, basically taking a sow's ear and making it into a golden purse. And wow. uh, like you said, it took me actually just three months of research and I identified the major circulating form of vitamin D, 25-hydroxy vitamin D, got my master's degree. And then we identified the active form of vitamin D, 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. And um, I got my PhD a year later, so master's and PhD in two years. Mm -hmm. And then I went to medical school. I got bored with medical school. And so I became a full-time postdoc at the same time. And I was uh, working on the second half of the actual synthesis of the active form of vitamin D. And the reason that was important was that we finally recognized something. When you make vitamin D in your skin, it's not active. It, or you ingest it in your diet. It has to go to your liver. And that's where it's converted to 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Mm -hmm. It's the major circulating form, but it's biologically inactive. And then it goes to your kidneys and gets activated to 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. Now they've known before 1971, when we identified this, that people with kidney disease had severe bone disease and they had a resistance to vitamin D and they couldn't understand why. Well, now all of a sudden the light went on, right? The kidneys activated. So if you have kidney failure, you can't activate vitamin D. Mm. So as a result, my roommate and I were the first to chemically make it. And the stuff we made in a test tube, we actually gave to patients with kidney failure that were wheelchair bound and they started walking again. So that was my first introduction into translational medicine. And uh, I became fascinated with vitamin D because it was amazing to me why mother nature would have designed a system where you would need to be exposed to sunlight to make this, right? And if you think about it, it actually makes sense because unlike a diet, which is quite vague in terms of whether you are or aren't gonna get a nutrient, right? Yeah. Our hunter gatherers were all outside, guaranteed to make vitamin D. Wow. And so I think that throughout evolution, vitamin D has played a very fundamental role uh, in life. And we even showed 500 million years ago, the earliest life forms, phytoplankton in the ocean, made huge amounts of vitamin D. Wow. And, you know, you talked about, you said to me that you view vitamin D as birth to death. And then, you know, for you to get into vitamin D, that there's not 
I think I'll call it virtually not an ailment, not a disease, not in anything within the body that D deficiency doesn't affect. So again, I want people, I want people to get slapped over the head with how important this is and how vital, and then how simple it is to get, like we're deficient. But just in terms of a taste of all the things that D is critical to and D deficiency leaves you vulnerable to. Right. So if you, if you think about it, right, um, you would expect that if vitamin D has always been thought about rickets and bone health, mm -hmm. that the vitamin D receptor, right, because you need a receptor in the cell, in the nucleus to recognize it, right? And so your intestine, bone, kidney, all have it. But also your brain and breast, colon, prostate, skin, all have a vitamin D receptor. Well, why would they be there? Mother nature doesn't do things willy-nilly, um, but there must be an effect. And so many investigators have shown that there's all kinds of biologic activities. In fact, we did a study recently where we gave uh, increased dosing of vitamin D, and we showed that adults on 10,000 units a day for six months, up and down regulated almost 1,200 genes in your immune system regulating inflammatory activity, regulating uh, a whole variety of biologic processes for immune function. Um, we also knew that, for example, the skin had a receptor. Well, we knew the skin made it, but why would the skin have a receptor? And so we started growing skin cells in culture. We added the active vitamin D that I had chemically made, and we showed that it inhibited their proliferation. So I put my MD hat back on and asked the question, is there a hyperproliferative skin disorder, not malignant, that maybe you could treat with active vitamin D? Mm -hmm. And that's psoriasis. About 2% of the world's population suffer from it. And we showed back in the mid 1980s that topically applied active vitamin D markedly improves psoriasis lesions without any side effect. And is that for people that are D deficient as well? Or is it like, even if you have plenty of D, you still might need topical? No question, it's a, but it's the active form, right? Right, and and um, and so um, vitamin D topically applied will not work, but active form does. Got it. And talking about from birth until death, okay. just to give you a couple of examples, we know that during pregnancy, vitamin D deficiency increases risk for preeclampsia. Mm -hmm. We also know that um, vitamin D is critical for muscle function, which is important for birthing. And so we went on to show in over 200 women at our hospital that if they were vitamin D deficient, they had a much higher risk of requiring a C-section. And there's other data out there to show that premature births is associated with vitamin D deficiency. Yeah. And finally, if pregnant women are vitamin D deficient, their infants are more likely to have wheezing disorders and dental caries. Wow. And then, so and then it moves on. Things like, as we said, risk of cancer, multiple sclerosis, heart disease. Um, what else do I have? Osteoporosis, obviously, type two diabetes. I mean, all the biggies. Vitamin Alzheimer's disease. Right. Yeah. All right. So now, everybody out there. Now, hopefully, I've made the case. D is important. We talked about this. Let's let's now tie those dots to COVID and the huge, I mean, we're not talking 5%, 10%, the enormous numbers that you're seeing in terms of the connection between vitamin D and risk, serious illness and death of COVID. 
So we had done studies and others have done as well. It turns out that you have in your white blood cells, you have what are called B lymphocytes, which make antibodies. And you have T lymphocytes, which um, um, make cytokines um, that people are hearing about because of the cytokine storm. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting is that inactive resting T lymphocytes have no vitamin D receptor. As soon as you activate them, they do. And as soon as that happens, now that cell recognizes the active form of vitamin D and regulates cytokine production, helping to fight infection. It does the same thing for B cells. So B cells that make immunoglobulin, if they're resting, no vitamin D receptor. But as soon as they get activated, they have a vitamin D receptor. And we believe that what is happening is that the receptor interacting with its active form is regulating immunoglobulin synthesis and down-regulating autoimmune uh, immunoglobulins, thereby reducing risk of autoimmune disorders like type 1 diabetes and multiple sclerosis. There was a study done in Finland um, where they showed that infants that got 2,000 units of vitamin D a day during their first year of life, reduced risk of getting type 1 diabetes 31 years later by 88%. Wow. Wow. That's huge. Let's, let's talk about COVID. Let's jump to the COVID stats because the numbers right. of COVID are, are as huge in terms of the impact of right. that. So what are some of the, just, let's start with just the high level you know, percentage of the increased risk that you, know, you did the, the, I don't know how to pronounce it, the PLOS or the PLOS one study. Yep. Yep. Um, that uh, it, with the 190,000 people right. that showed increased risk and then other studies that have shown increased serious going to hospitalization and then death. Yep. So um, I, I've been fortunate because I helped to develop some of the first assays and that was for Quest Diagnostics. And so I got a phone call from them and um, Dr. Kaufman um, and their group um, had this huge database where they had a blood level of 25 hydroxy vitamin D and they have been doing COVID testing. And so they collected 191,000 samples. And this is in all 50 states, both sexes, all ethnicities, all ages mm -hmm. and all latitudes. And asked the question that if you are vitamin D deficient compared to being very sufficient what is the difference in risk of acquiring COVID? And the answer is about 54% reduced risk of acquiring COVID simply by being vitamin D sufficient. So and half risk. Correct. Half and this was true for both black and brown people, right. as well as um, Asians, Caucasians, for both men and women. And even though we know that aging, right, that, that elders are more at risk of having morbidity and mortality, the effect was exactly the same for all ages. So it was the same 50%. It wasn't like other factors that, you know, if you had any of these other comorbidities that your risk went up of getting sick. Like D was this just absolute kind of flat line of double the risk no matter what, or cut the well, risk in half. Or yeah, you Not continue to see a decreased yeah. risk for yeah. all ethnicities and all latitudes, all um, ages, et cetera. Yeah, so improving your vitamin D status. And what does that mean? 
So if you're vitamin D deficient, that's a 25 hydroxy vitamin D of less than 20 nanograms per ml. And then if you increase that level, you continue to decrease COVID infectivity. And when you got to around 50 nanograms per ml, 50 to 60 nanograms per ml, that was the maximum benefit. So it continued to drop, right? Right, so then how about this? So now we've got, of those people, and again, we've had 18 million cases in the United States, if I checked my numbers right before. So potentially 9 million people might not have tested positive if we had, because let me ask you this, percentage of the population across the country what is it about 50% more than that who we assume are vitamin D deficient? So on average in the world, about 40% are deficient, 60% are deficient or insufficient, i.e. less than 30 nanograms per ml. And the RDA is much lower than that. Don't they say, not the RDA, but they say that, is it, they say that the, the bare minimum to survive, just like they always say with all vitamin minimums, it's like the bare minimum to survive, but it's not an effective level. So. Right. So the Institute of Medicine came out with its recommendations. And even though they're low, right, before 2010, believe it or not, the RDA was 200 units a day. And they now boosted it to 600 units a day, right? And uh, for elderly, 800 units a day, right? But the Endocrine Society practice guidelines, and I chaired that committee, right? And all of the members were experts in vitamin D. We reviewed the literature carefully. What we concluded was that for infants, 400 to 1,000 units a day, children, 600 to 1,000 units a day, and in my opinion, teenagers should be like adults, 1,500 to 2,000 units a day. And if you're obese, you need two to three times more because the vitamin D is fat soluble and it winds up diluting in your body fat. And I'm going to go back through those recommendations later on. Um, Let's talk, let's jump to the people. So now the 50% that are in the hospital, those additional people that are in the hospital, give me the stat on that in terms of the, what, what that then looks like. I think it was 82% of the people that were in the hospital were D deficient. Right. So we did look at uh, patients that were coming in with serious COVID infection into the hospital and it was a little over 235 uh, patients. And we related their blood level of 25-hydroxy vitamin D with their lymphocyte count and with various markers of immune function and mortality. And what we found was, not unexpected, is that we didn't see anyone dying under the age of 40. But those that were 40 and older, if they were vitamin D deficient, they had a 51.5% higher risk of dying of the infection. And we also showed that the higher the blood level of 25-hydroxy vitamin D, again, in that range of about 40 to 60 nanograms per ml, uh, improved lymphocyte count, which helps to fight the infection, and altered uh, many of the complications associated with the infection, including unconsciousness. What was, I saw a study in Belgium, and again, it was a smaller study that I thought they said that they had a four times higher chance of dying if they had, um, were D deficient. Right. And so, you know, I think that, that there's lots of different studies out there with a lot of different numbers. I think that the message really should be is it doesn't matter whether it's four times or 50%, Right. right? What matters is that improving your vitamin D status helps you reduce risk of infection and helps you fight it if you get it. So let me ask you this, is it, if you're deficient, you're more vulnerable. Are they using it 
as a treatment and is it effective on that side as well? Like, can you, so that, it, does it work on both sides? I mean, there was one study that came out that they said they had given large dose of vitamin D and it didn't really have any benefit. Right. I think that, so part of the problem is, right, that when you take vitamin D, it's not active, right? It has to go to your liver, it has to get converted, right? right. And then gets to your kidneys and to your immune cells because your immune cells also activate vitamin D, by the way, right? The macrophages that gobble up things, mm -hmm. they activate vitamin D and they help to regulate immune function and, and system and they will reduce cytokine storm. So we think that that's one of the reasons why it decreases risk of the um, complications from, from yeah. Um, so let's talk about the, those subgroups. Again, the, the groups, this is part of what makes me so angry and frustrated and sad about all this. The groups that are at the highest risk of getting it and dying of it, people of color, elderly, obese, are also, as you said, significantly at risk of D deficiency, that they, they have D deficiency. Can you talk, talk about that for a sec and like what's going on? And again, the difference that it would make for those people, like, um, just talk about in general, like the, that the connection that those groups that are, that we're talking about that they're, they're, vul they're more vulnerable, but, they're, but they inherently are D deficient. Like what's going on with those different groups that they are D deficient? Right, well, I mean, people of color are D deficient principally because we still depend on sun for most of our vitamin D requirement. There's only really three natural sources of vitamin D available, right? Which includes wild caught oily fish like salmon, right? Farm salmon contain hardly any. And mushrooms exposed to sunlight. So sun dried mushrooms, right? And cod liver oil. Those are the only three. Yes, dairy does contain vitamin D. It's 100 units, right? So even if you were to follow the Institute of Medicine, 600 units a day, you have to drink six glasses of milk. And some orange juice are fortified with vitamin D, which is good as well. So you get some vitamin D from your dietary sources. But that's the reason why most people are vitamin D deficient, because they didn't realize that sensible sun exposure was always and has been the major source of vitamin D. And people of color, they have a natural sun protection, sunscreen. We had shown many years ago, if you put a sunscreen on properly with an SPF of 30, it reduces your ability to make vitamin D in your skin by 97.5%. If you have a person of color, they have a sun protection factor of anywhere from four, maybe up to 10. That means that they would have to be outside five to 10 times longer to make the same amount of vitamin D as it would be for me. So then the obvious question is, how do you know what to do? Right. And so there's only one thing to do in this day and age, develop an app. And so we have, it's right. called dminder.info. So D-M-I-N-D-E-R.info. It's free on your Android or on your uh, iPhone. And it'll tell you anywhere on the planet, basically, when you can make vitamin D, how much vitamin D you make, and it warns you to get out of the sun so you don't get a sunburn. The, and you know, our lifestyle to that, give me, give me that again. And I'm gonna ask, hopefully Lauren, you're listening to me um, and let's get that into the chat box so that people can see it easily. Tell me it again, Michael. So D-M-I-N-D-E-R dot I-N-F-O. Dot I-N-F-O. And if they go to, is it available if they go to the Apple or the Android store, can they download it there as well? Mm -hmm. So just look for D-Minder. Okay, fabulous. Um, how 
come doctors aren't talking about any of this? Well, I mean, there are a lot of physicians out there trying desperately um, to get um, people that are in higher uh, positions, you know, that can make recommendations at national levels to get more interested. I mean, it was interesting that when um, President Trump wound up with the infection, you may have heard that they had him on vitamin D, which was interesting. And so um, the problem is that it's a vitamin, right? And so people don't really take it that seriously um, as thinking about its potential benefit. It definitely helps to modulate your immune system. And now that people are getting vaccinated, it may even actually help in, um, in the vaccination process in terms of um, helping the vaccine to work better. And so there's a lot of good reasons for doing it. There's really no downside to increasing your vitamin D intake unless you have a sensitivity, like a rare disorder like sarcoidosis, for example, um, other one, or and um, malabsorption patients, you know, they need to have, be monitored. But I tell most of my physician friends that you don't have to get the blood level, right? That you simply follow the guidelines that we talked about just a little while ago about endocrine society. I mean, we did a study for six years and I took patients and I put them on an equivalent of 3000 units a day for six years. And we, even though I had the blood, I didn't measure the baseline. And at the end, I, or I measured both and found that some people actually were sufficient at the time I saw them and gave them their, their 50,000 units once every two weeks. It's equivalent to about 3,300 units a day. They started out at 30 or 40 or 50. They only went up to about 80. We know up to 100 is perfectly safe, right? So they talk like about this. the risk of overdose. Of, you know, again, I, sure. I, I was, as I was preparing for this, I was, it's, again, I was watching a segment that was done on a major television show. I was thrilled to see that they did a segment about this with D and COVID, but they hedged it so much. And they, they talked more about the risk of g- getting high doses of D right. than the importance of getting D and supplementing D. So how right. easy is it to, to get your, your, into a dangerous place of it? Right. So first of all, I'll tell you, I take 6,000 units every day and my blood level is 72 nanograms per ml. And so we know, because we published papers on this and others have as well, you basically have to take hundreds of thousands of units of vitamin D a day for maybe months to years before you have to worry about intoxication. And the reason people are so paranoid about this is that back in the 1940s and 50s, when vitamin D was being used to treat rheumatoid arthritis, for example, they were giving massive doses, hundreds of thousands of units a day. And then a year later, they wound up severely intoxicated with high blood calcium, causing soft tissue calcification of your blood vessels and of your kidneys, causing kidney failure and death. But more importantly, that when you stop the vitamin D, the intoxication did not stop because all of that vitamin D was in your body fat and Mm -hmm. is now being released. And so physicians had always been taught that vitamin D is one of the most toxic fat soluble vitamins. Turns out probably one of the least toxic. You have to take massive doses. I had a case of um, a lawyer down in Florida. He went on the internet back in the nineties to find vitamin D in his local uh, pharmacy. There was no vitamin D supplements in your pharmacy. So he went on the internet and he bought a product that had a thousand units and teaspoon. He took two teaspoons a day. He became toxic. 
And he was really upset with me because I had been recommending 2000 units a day. And so I told him, look, send the stuff up. We'll do an analysis for you. The company forgot to dilute it. He was taking a million units a day for more than a year. He was severely intoxicated. Right. I became his doctor and told him no sun exposure without sunscreen, no vitamin D, low calcium intake. His calcium quickly came down and he had no consequences from it. Wow. So, all right. So what, so you talked about units and recommendations. You take 6,000, uh, 1,200 to 2,000 of supplements and it's D3 is the form that people would be taking. Um, well, no, well, so there's a myth out there about right. this. Okay, vitamin D2 is as effective as vitamin D3. And the only pharmaceutical available in the United States, if your doctor writes a prescription, is vitamin D2. And the reason is it predates the FDA. Nobody ever got pharmaceutical approval for vitamin D3. But I can get yes. it free at the drugstore. I can get yes, D3. I know, for right. sure. And it's yeah. supplement. Right. Right. So it depends upon who's making it <laughs> as to whether or not you have the right amount that's present in it. So I usually recommend to my patients, yes, over-the-counter, um, CVS, Walgreens, two-for-one sale, perfectly fine. But be careful about going on the internet and buying products that you may not know very much about or is not really regulated as well by the FDA. So, but high-quality high brand names are fine or Kirkland, perfectly right? fine. Yeah. Okay. But those that are vegan, right, they won't take vitamin D3. And so vitamin D2 is perfectly fine. If I have a question from somebody, if someone has chronic kidney disease, can they take vitamin D? Will it harm no, them? Yeah, no question about it, in fact. So chronic kidney disease, just like we had talked about earlier, right? right? You can't activate vitamin D as well. So mm -hmm. sometimes we'll give them active vitamin D. But even the kidney foundations, international and national kidney foundations recommend all patients with CKD definitely need to be on vitamin D, equivalent of about 3,000 units a day to maintain a blood level above 30 nanograms per ml for 25-hydroxy vitamin D. No question about it. Okay. Now let's talk about sunlight because that's the optimal way to do it. And again, we're so deficient because we've, we've, we've moved inside. And you and I were talking before about um, an influenza study that showed that it's not about, if people talk about you get the flu in the winter and it's because everybody's locked inside. No, it's about as the D levels lower and, and geographically, if you're, if you're further north where you're not getting as much D in, that that's the direct connection between that and getting all these respiratory infections. So, so I'll give you some perspectives. So one of the first questions I think you should ask is, so how do you really know what your blood level should be, mm -hmm. right? from our, because we're not hunter-gatherers anymore. Mm -hmm. And so study was done in Maasai herders, right? Their blood levels, right? They have very dark skin for obvious reasons because they live in the equator, right? right? So you would think that mother nature would then have it so dark that they couldn't make any vitamin D, right? But mother nature cleverly designed their skin pigment so that their blood levels on average are about 40 to 50 nanograms per ml. That's equivalent to taking 4,000 to 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. But that's people, so that's people living at the equator, but dark-skinned people living up here are deficient. Because, right, they need to be outside 10 times longer than we do, right? Our skin right. pigment, we believe, devolved, disappeared as we migrated north and south to the equator. Because if you're vitamin D deficient at birth, right, especially for infant uh, females, they wind up in utero 
um, with a very flat deformed pelvis with a small pelvic outlet. So when they're born and by the time they get um, to um, being able to reproduce, they can't without having very difficult time with childbirthing. So we think that in evolution, pigmentation devolved, disappeared as people migrated north and south of the equator. Gotcha. Okay, so we're at, so 40 to 50 nanometers. Grams, gram, L, right. So that's what called they determined because of the Maasai tribe is the optimal. Right. right, and then the other piece of information that's just interesting, human breast milk essentially contains no vitamin D. Now, of course, that makes no sense again from an evolution perspective. So Bruce Hollis and Carol Wagner down in South Carolina did a study. They showed if you give lactating women 6,000 units of vitamin D a day, they put enough vitamin D in their milk to satisfy their infant's requirement. So it's really telling us from two directions what our blood level should be. And remember what I said early on for COVID patients, right? If they're around 40 to 60 nanograms per ml, 54.5% reduced risk of acquiring the infection, 51.5% reduced risk of dying from the infection. So all of this information is finally beginning to make sense. So how quickly, if I'm deficient and I start doing this stuff, and we're gonna talk more about you know getting sunshine and someone has a question about marine algae and stuff, how quickly can my, will my vitamin D go up to an adequate level? And is it, if I've been deficient for a really long time and my body has been, you know, function has been suppressed, I'll call it because of that, how, how fast does this work? And can right. I overcome my past evil? Right. Yeah, so it turns out that, that you would think that if you're super vitamin D deficient, right? Really deficient, that you would need massive more doses of vitamin D. Not true, body isn't stupid, right? The body cares about being very conservative. So when you have extremely low blood levels, you have four different enzymes, four different mechanisms in your liver to make 25-hydroxy vitamin D. So the first mechanism kicks in immediately. And so you efficiently utilize almost all that vitamin D, quickly converting it to 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And so when you're severely vitamin D deficient, I give them the same amount of vitamin D that I give if patients are vitamin D insufficient, right? And it almost works the same way. And typically when you're on a dose of vitamin D, it will raise and maximize at around eight weeks. So yeah. it'll gradually continue to go up, right? And what's interesting about vitamin D, you would think that like if you're on 10,000 units a day that you would continue to increase, increase, increase. No, when you're on a stable dose, you raise your blood level and just stays there. So on a thousand units, you're probably at around 25 nanograms per ml. 2,000 units, around 35 nanograms per ml. 5,000 units, 40 to 50 nanograms per ml. So people who stress will deplete all sorts of things in our body. Does stress deplete vitamin D at all? So there's a lot of information out there, again, in my opinion, that I think needs to be looked at a little bit more carefully to say that if you're entering the hospital and you have inflammatory activity that your body's utilizing your vitamin D rapidly. In my opinion, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. um, that the body is again, pretty clever in, in how it's using it, the vitamin D. It's mainly because of, of intravenous dilution and a lot of other factors that are playing a role in this. Um, so in my opinion, um, I think that it does not make any difference. And so I give everyone basically the same amount. Does, are, is there a way for people to know, are there symptoms of D deficiency? Um, right, there are. Mm -hmm. And so 
Typically, uh, in the wintertime, people have aches and pains in their bones and muscles, right? It's called osteomalacia. And it's, and it's not osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is basically a hole in your bone, right? Mm -hmm. Osteomalacia, what's happening is that the, your bone cells are laying down the collagen matrix, but it can't get mineralized. And so just like jello, right, which will hydrate, it'll hydrate underneath your periosteal covering. So people feel throbbing, aching, bone pain. You press on their bone and they wince in pain. Mm -hmm. And you say, ah, that's a trigger point consistent with fibromyalgia. No, go back a hundred years. That's what a family doctor would do on physical exam to determine if you're vitamin D deficient or not. Okay. So, so that's a, that there's a bellwether for us. Um, but meanwhile though, I mean, curious, but as you said, Everyone should should get at least twelve hundred to two thousand. So fifteen hundred to two thousand. Fifteen hundred to two thousand. Okay. How about sunshine? Because sunshine right. is really the best way to get it. Right. So more than forty years ago, I began to realize that that all of a sudden the dermatology societies were beginning to say you should never be exposed to one direct ray of sunlight. But I realized that that was our major source of vitamin D, and that. This was probably not the best message, abstinence, but rather you want to have sensible sun exposure. And so what I typically recommend is that if you know that you're going to get a mild sunburn, called minimal erythemal dose, um, being outside for, say, 30 minutes, that you would go out for about 15 minutes, arms, legs, abdomen, and back, not your face. It's the most sun exposed, most sun damaged, only 4% of your body surface, so it provides you with hardly any vitamin D, right? and then followed by good sun protection. And so, as you had said, that you know we developed an app so that it really helps guide people now because it's cloudy outside, for example, you don't know, but the app will tell you because the app is getting satellite information for how much ultraviolet radiation is actually hitting the earth's surface at where you are located. And we relate skin color, right? And age and obesity all related to how much vitamin D you need and when to get out of the sun so you don't get sun damage and sunburn. So based on what you just said, it's basically impossible in the winter to get vitamin D outside. I mean, I go out and walk my dog a lot, but it's only my face that's out and I don't have my body out. It was 16 degrees when I went outside this morning. Well, it turns out that even if, because as you know, there's a major storm coming in that's gonna be 60 degrees on Christmas day, right? And you wanted to go out in your bathing suit, wouldn't matter. You make no vitamin D in your skin from November until next March, if you live above Atlanta, Georgia, basically. And more importantly, you think that you go out eight o'clock in the morning, go jogging and make your vitamin D, you know, out in, um, you know, your outfit. No, you make no vitamin D until around nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. And it abruptly stops at three o'clock in the afternoon, even if you live at the equator. Is that your the body or is it just the, because of the sun? Why? Why exactly? And the reason is simple. <laughs> That's it's because the zenith angle of the sun. Right. So it turns out that the UVB radiation, no more than about a half to 1% ever reaches the Earth's surface. And so it's scattered and absorbed by the ozone layer. And so only when it's directly above you, right, are you making vitamin D. Once the angle is 35 degrees, you essentially make nothing. And so even at the equator, we did a study in Panama because I went fishing with my son and I, I putting out these ampules on the boat, got poked, kept the thought I was crazy. Right. But we showed that when we're out there at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, already sweating with the sun brightly shining, zero vitamin D. All we right, only so, begin so, nine to about three. So now 
so then, so, so there I am for six or eight months of the year that I can make none. Does it, do I get enough if I'm out in the summer? Do I store enough for the winter? Am right. I like a squirrel? Right. So it turns out that we think that our hunter gatherers, right, outside every day were making vitamin D and they were in fact storing it in their body fat. And that those that lived in Northern climates um, were now releasing that vitamin D because they were taking advantage of their fat stores um, during the wintertime. So I'll give you another example, right? We always had thought that the um, Neanderthals were these dark, hairy creatures, right. right? But they makes no sense for them to be dark, hairy creatures living in Europe, right? No, it turns out that their DNA, right, identified that they were actually redheaded Celtic. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Now, how about things like tanning beds or right. UV lights or things like that? Right. So I don't. I don't advocate tanning, right? But those that do should do it responsibly. And even though if you go on the internet, it implies that I'm kind of the poster boy for the tanning industry, not true. I was helping to train and teach the tanning industry a sensible way of using it. I send some of my patients with that malabsorption that they can't absorb it through their diet, right? To a tanning bed in the wintertime, right? Definitely if you have UVB as your part of your tanning, um, radiation coming out, you will make vitamin D very efficiently. And in fact, the Spurdy lamp predated, again, the FDA. So the FDA has grandfathered it. Um, back in the 1940s and 50s, you would routinely go to a drugstore and buy a Spurdy lamp, bring it home and expose your children to it to prevent them from getting rickets. It's available on the internet that, you, that you're able to get. So tanning beds will work. And we did a study in tanners in Boston. Tanners in wintertime had robust levels of 40 to 50 nanograms per ml, that magical number, right? Mm -hmm. Reducing risk of COVID by about 54.5%, right? Non-tanners, 18 nanograms per ml. Wow. So is there a safe, is it, what's, I don't want to ever say, is there a prescription for going to a tanning bed? Because again, a lot of people who get seasonal affective disorder have had success with going, going to tanning beds. Um, or even that got those sad light bulbs. And I'll ask you about that separate. So is there a, a prescription for tanning if you're going to try that route? Right. So, I mean, what you need to do is go to a reputable tanning salon uh, and making sure that you're getting an amount of exposure that is less than a minimal erythemal dose. You do not want to be getting a sunburn as as uh, a from it. What I tell my patients when they go to a tanning salon, go for 50% of the time recommended for tanning mm -hmm. and wear something on your face, either a sunscreen or put on um, um, a cloth on your face so that you're not exposed to it. Because of the risk to skin cancer. Yep. yep. Now, how about though and, they have- And wrinkling. Um, how about they have those um, sad lights? Right. You know, right. So seasonal affective disorder right. is due to something else, right? It's due to the inability of your pineal gland to suppress melatonin levels because um, the sunlight doesn't have enough power basically to be able to do that. And so these lights that are available um, put out 10,000 lux, L-U-X, right? right? And you, what you do is you use them. And I have a lot of my patients using them. You put it on in the morning and you're making your breakfast and reading your newspapers. So you don't have to stare at it. It's just that indirect light will help to suppress your melatonin level. Got it. That's totally unrelated to D. I conflated. Um, somebody asked about, uh, you mentioned before algae. 
So somebody asked about, I'm looking for the question about marine, or marine, you mentioned algae before. So how about, is that an, an effective way to supplement marine algae? No. Okay. So phytoplankton okay. is what we showed made vitamin D. Maybe algae will make a, a small amount, um, but it, as far as I'm aware, I mean, unless people, unless companies are taking the algae and irradiating it with ultraviolet radiation, then you're likely to be making vitamin D too because it's a plant. Got it, okay. What, what uh, anything else recommendations in terms of supplements that people should, people should do kind of tying this together? We've talked about supplements, we've talked about D3, we've talked about, we said though you could take D3 and D2. Correct. So now you said this, that, but if this takes, these will turn into D2, so that won't be effective. No, Sorry, it's no, 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 no. Vitamin D2 comes from yeast yes. and plants. Vitamin D3 comes from your skin or is made from lanolin, right? But, and so it's an animal source. And so both vitamin D2 and vitamin D3 can go to your liver, convert it to 25-hydroxy vitamin D2, 25-hydroxy vitamin D3, go to your kidneys, get activated to 125-dihydroxy vitamin D2, 125-dihydroxy vitamin D3. They work the same way. We've done the study to show that identical blood levels. Okay. Um, right. And for vegans, that's a big deal because they would prefer not to have an animal source, which is often D3 coming from lanolin. And so vitamin D is perfectly fine. Okay. All right. Dr. Michael Howard, I can't thank you enough. Um, I, I went in circles a little bit. I apologize to, the, to everyone in the world. It's must be the altitude where I am. Um, but I cannot say more strongly how important this is. And I don't know if you want to put a button on this in terms of the importance um, of every, I'll call it everybody, virtually everybody out there, even if you're outside. I mean, if, even if people are outside, should they still be taking vitamin D? You know, just, no question. Yeah. So, because you can't get enough from sunlight. Unless you're going to be a sun worshiper or a lifeguard, you are not going to get enough from sun exposure. And so I tell all of my patients, and I personally do it the same. Even though I play tennis, I garden, I still take the same amount of vitamin D year round. Because we did another study in over 2 million people right, throughout the entire United States. And we looked at the blood level at the end of the winter and at the end of the summer in Boston, the difference is nine nanograms per ml. We looked in Atlanta, Georgia, same thing, nine. And so you really don't get that much vitamin D from sun exposure because you're not a hunter gatherer outside every day, exposing almost all of your body to sun exposure. All right, but again, and the most critical part is though, having adequate levels of vitamin D as we are all, Every day we turn on the television and they're talking about caseloads and they're talking about hospitalizations and they're talking about masks. The thing that will certainly, based on all of this, this research thus far, um, that can reduce your risk significantly, huge numbers, is to be able to have your D levels adequate. Let me ask you a quick question. As I'm tying, I keep tying up, but I keep coming back. The knock on vitamins often is that there aren't double blind quantitative large studies. So, you know, when doctors kind of say, if you ask doctors about, can I take a vitamin? They go, eh, it's fine. It won't hurt you, whatever. It's fine. But they don't look at it seriously because there isn't the same level of study that's being done. Um, do you have a comment on that concept with regard to D? So that, because again, you know, it, like it's just the note that the, the medical doctors that are on television are not coming out and saying it as powerfully as wear your mask. So there's two problems. The first is, that most studies 
um, like the what's called the vital study, where they looked at giving 2,000 units for five years and colorectal cancer and heart disease, right? The problem is that you can't put people on placebo. And so those um, people that were not taking the vitamin D were still on 600 to 800 units of vitamin D a day. And more than 50% of the group were vitamin D sufficient at the time they were giving them vitamin D. So why you would expect to see a benefit, right? But when you start looking more carefully at the data and start to tease out those that were vitamin D deficient, are you seeing a benefit? All of a sudden you do. And so there, in my opinion, no downside to increasing your vitamin D intake to the recommendations of the endocrine society. And like I said, I have most of my patients are on equivalent of 3,000, 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. All right. Well, you heard it. Take your Ds. Thank you so very much. Again, Dr. Michael Hollick, website, drhollick.com. I think in the chat box is now the link to be able to get your app. So I wish you and I wish everybody else a very happy, healthy holiday um, with everybody and start your Ds. Thank you. And a delightful holiday to all. (laughs) Love it. Bye-bye. We're living in an unprecedented time when trust in our media and news sources are at an all-time low. It seems that everyone has an agenda, if not a political one, then a business one, as media companies are beholden to advertisers or shareholders. Well, not at bottom line. We're a family-owned business and have been free from the influence of advertising since our start nearly 50 years ago, focused solely on helping people live happier, more fulfilled lives. Our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, provides advice that can be put into action each day, helping people do better and feel better. Thousands of top, highly respected, truth-seeking experts have appeared in Bottom Line Personal on topics in all areas of life, including healthcare, financial planning, home improvement tips, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.